And welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I want to thank Monty Taylor for that great introduction from his show, Living Consciously with Monty Taylor. And I want to thank you all for tuning in right here on TalkingAlternative.com. Now, last week, I did a replay of an episode with Kat Reiner, and it was on Introduction to Yoga. And it was has been, over the month of July, the most popular show on iTunes. So I decided to give it an encore presentation just so that everyone who maybe doesn't have iTunes can uh, could listen in on that episode. Now to that end, I think I've said it before, but I'm going to kind of say it again that Healthy, Wealthy and Smart is now on iTunes. So if it's hard for you to kind of be sitting by your computer and listening on the Talking Alternative website, I know one of my coworkers said that the fact that it's on iTunes now makes it much more conducive to his lifestyle um, because he commutes in and out of Manhattan from Brooklyn and it's just a little bit easier for him to listen to the shows on the go. So if you have iTunes and you have an iPad or an iPhone or an iPod or any other type of uh, MP3 player, you can go to the iTunes, you can go to your iTunes website, go to iPod, and then just um, put in Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart, and the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart uh, show will come up. It has all 70, some 76 shows, however many I did. So again, you know, the way I look at it is if you want to learn how to live a pain-free and to live a healthy lifestyle, you'll be learning from the best people in physical therapy, medicine, uh, uh, great dietitians, so that you can learn how to live a great, healthy lifestyle. Now, in today's episode, we're kind of heading back into the physical therapy realm after taking a little bit of a break. And my guest today will be Dr. Louis Puentendora. And I know it's a tongue twister. Uh, Dr. Puentendora, I actually heard him speak at the Combined Sections meeting in Chicago. So for all you physical therapists out there who were at Combined Sections, if you were lucky enough to to hear him and Adrian Lowe speak, they gave a great presentation on uh, complex regional pain syndrome, and and uh, then Adrian went into graded motor imagery. Um, so today, Dr. Uh, so a little background on Dr. Puentendora. He received his Bachelor's of Applied Science degree in physiotherapy from Lincoln Institute of Health Sciences, La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia. He then received a postgraduate diploma in manipulative therapy from the same school and university in 1983. He was awarded his post-professional Doctor of Physical Therapy, or DPT, degree with distinction from Northern Arizona University in 2005, and completed his Ph.D. in Physical Therapy at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in 2011. He is a board-certified clinical specialist in orthopedic physical therapy and is a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. He teaches gross anatomy, orthopedic principles, orthopedic rehab, diagnostic imaging, and spine examination and intervention, uh, where he is the assistant professor in the physical therapy program at UNLV. So 
we are yeah, so we are, when we come back, hopefully he will be on the line, and we, what we're going to talk about today are some of the things that he is researching that he is very passionate about, and those interests are uh, manipulation, particularly in the cervical spine and how it works, and is it safe? There's a lot of stuff going on right now. Is it safe? Should it even be done? Is it necessary? So we'll talk about that. And we're going to talk about pain science and pain education. Uh, that role in manual therapy and exercises and how if adding pain education to your patients, especially those suffering from chronic pain, can it help? Can it be something that is that can augment your uh, existing manual therapy treatments? So everyone stay tuned, and we'll be right back after this break. So stay tuned. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183 That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower radio program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower and listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Talking Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. Again, I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and today I'm very happy to have on the show Dr. Louis Puentendora. So, Dr. Puentendora, hello, and thank you for coming on the show. Good morning, or good afternoon, everybody. Right, good, right. you're calling from uh, Las, Las Vegas, Vegas, Nevada, where we spoke the other day, and it was, what, 115 degrees? 
<laughs> yes, it's a little cooler today. It's only 98, but oh. it's on its way to 106. Yeah, makes me glad that I'm here in New York. Um, yeah, okay, but, so but it's a dry heat. You it's know? a dry heat. That's right. There's no humidity, <laughs> so you don't even feel it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, so I sort of gave a little introduction in the first section, sort of your your history and all your degrees, and and you're now teaching at the physical therapy program at UNLV. But mm-hmm. I want you to talk a little bit more about your history in manual therapy. Okay. Well, actually, when I graduated from uh, PT school way back in 1980, uh, my big interest, you know, my big love at the time was neurological rehabilitation. And so I spent the first two years of my PT career working in a rehabilitation center, working with stroke patients and kids with cerebral palsy. And and that, to me, was, you know, what I thought physical therapy was all about. Um, Orthopedics was not my strong point, believe it or not. I didn't like orthopedics when I was a student and uh, didn't think much of it, you know, and didn't have much to do with it for the first two years. Mm. And then uh, a turning point in my life was when I met this um, a clinician, a private practitioner who was working in private practice in a clinic in Ballarat, Australia, where, where I'd moved to. Mm-hmm. And his name was Peter Rice, and he was a manual therapist, and he gave a presentation on manual therapy and manipulation. And then they brought a patient in, and he actually examined the patient, treated the patient, and did a, you know, a cervical or cervical manipulation. And uh, I was just sold. I saw that, and I thought, wow, here I am working in neurological rehab where it takes months to see some progress in someone, and this guy can do it in two seconds. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, wow, that's, uh, I've got to learn how to do that. And then I ended up um, working with him, and um, he was my mentor for quite a long time. Um, and then I went and uh, did a postgraduate diploma in manipulative therapy, got more and more involved in manual therapy, and um, started working in private practice with Peter. Um, I, one, one particular day, he invited me to go and visit his family and meet the kids, and I met his daughter, and as they say in history, that's, that's the end of it. Ended up marrying his oh daughter. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, married his daughter. And, so he and, became uh, more, more, more than a mentor at that point. Yeah, he became a father-in-law as well, <laughs> which is great. And the funny thing was I married into such a strong physical therapy family because Peter was a physical therapist. His wife, Camille, was a physical therapist. His father, Trevor, was a physical therapist. And Trevor's uh, father and father-in-law were both physical therapists. So I married into a physical therapy dynasty there in, in, uh, uh-huh. in Melbourne, Victoria. It was just, just amazing. And then um, I worked in private practice for about 15 years there in Ballarat and just started to get a little bit of itchy, you know, itchy feet about not really sort of um, uh, attending to all of the patient's needs. Mm-hmm. I'd get, you know, uh, good results and, you know, have great outcomes with patients, but I just felt something was missing and I wasn't quite sure what it was. Um, I thought, you know, I had attended to everything, the joint the mechanics you know um the uh yeah, manual manual sort of techniques to get things moving and things like that and and then i thought maybe it's just the exercise component because i wasn't really um strong on pre- prescribing exercises mm-hmm. and getting patients to follow up after the mobilization techniques so i came over here to the united states um primarily as a sort of a you know uh was planning to be sort of a five-year working uh, holiday to learn a little bit about, about you know how practice how practice was here in the states and um, and then to go back to Australia and become you know an even better therapist I suppose but 
um, one thing led to the other, and now I find myself a dual citizen. Uh huh. And an you're American still here. And an Australian, and I'm here, and I'm you know, I'm stuck here. I can't go back now. <laughs> the kids have all grown up, and they all sound American. Right. So oh, we can't go back. <laughs> The, yeah, but the funny thing was, um, you know, once I was over here and, you know, started to work with the exercise component, I realized that that wasn't the part that was missing. It was mm. the neuroscience mm -hmm. aspect. It was explaining pain to the patient. Um, having patients understand why it was that they felt the way that they felt and how to change that. And that was the key ingredient that was missing. Right, that missing, that sort of missing link to make everything come full circle for you. Yeah. Exactly, because you know patients would usually come because they had pain. They had a particular pain problem, and um, I would you know use manual therapy as an input to change you know how they felt, and it would work for a little while. But until they understood why they uh, had that particular problem, why they hurt the way they hurt, mm -hmm. and until they understood how pain actually worked, um, you know it was really a sort of a missing ingredient. I think. Now that that's a part of uh, clinical practice, it's you know I think outcomes are even better now because you can tell a patient this is this is why your brain is making you feel what you're feeling because you know you feel a threat right. and it's quite natural for you to feel the pain that you that you have. It's amazing the number of number of patients who you know when you ask them you know do you think it's good to feel pain they all go oh no I'd rather never feel pain and then when you tell them about those you know horrible stories of there's people that are born with a genetic deficiency that can't feel pain and how they just don't It's terrible. Survive. Yeah. Yeah, they can't survive. Pain's a, you know, a very important uh, mechanism to have. It's a, it's a vital thing for us because it tells us that something's wrong. Right. It's, a sur it's the body's way to survive. Absolutely, yeah. Because if we wouldn't feel pain, if you could stick your hand on a hot plate and... You wouldn't know you've got your hand in your hot plants until you started to smell something burning. Yeah, yeah, not a pretty sight. No, not at all. And now, not when you all. talk about, you know, explaining pain to people, I think mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, when they hear that, they think, well, because I have a herniated disc or slipped disc, that's why I have pain. And so... Mm -hmm. When you say you explain pain, do you mean you get out the, and I know that you don't do this, but you get out the spine model and you show <laughs> them where it is and that big scary disc coming out and protruding out the back of the bone of the spine? <laughs> and, and is that how, is that what you mean by pain education? No, that's not what I mean. I don't know, and I know that's not what you do, yes. but that's what a lot of people think it is. So I just want to yeah. kind of bring that up. Yeah, I've actually sort of uh, written a paper that I'm hoping to get published fairly soon about uh, provocative terms and the, the provocative, provocative words that we use in physical therapy that we you know, tell our patients that they have a, a herniated disc or mm -hmm. a, a protrusion. A you know, slip disc. A slip disc and all those kinds. They're, they're, they're sort of strong words that, yeah. you know, that basically increase the patient's fear. And fear actually feeds into the whole mechanism of pain because you know, if you don't understand why you hurt, you know, why something's painful, then that, you know, that leads to an increase in the, in the pain output. What I, what I do is I, you know, I turn people's lives around because most people think pain's an input. Mm -hmm. They still believe in that old Cartesian um, you know, uh, model where you've, you, know, you, you put your hand on something that's hot or you cut yourself and it's the cut that gives you the pain or the burn that gives you the pain. And it's a real eye-opener for people to realize that, no, no, it's not what's causing the pain. Mm -hmm. The cut or the burn is just sending signals up through the nervous system to your brain, and it's your brain that then has to interpret mm -hmm. whether that cut 
or that burn is of sufficient threat, you know, a, a threat to survival to warrant the output of pain. Right. And um, I know that you know, Adrian Lowe, who co-teaches with me at ISPI, often sort of gives that little, you know, joke about, you know, when you, if you cross the road and sprain your ankle, will you feel pain? And lots of people will say, sprain an ankle? Yeah, of course you'll feel pain. But what if there's a bus coming, you know, and it's going to barrel you, barrel right over you and knock yeah. you down? Will you feel pain then? And the answer probably is no. No. You'll have a sprained ankle, but you'll get off that road. And you'll get off the road. That's right. Yeah. And then once the shock of the bus you know, driving past is gone um, and you're, you know, you're no longer under threat and your brain realizes that you're not under threat anymore, then suddenly the pain can diminish and disappear. And then, you know, that's when you start to sort of become more aware of that, um, that, that ankle sprain. Right. So, you know, the presence of damaged tissues doesn't necessarily mean pain. Because, you know, right. I like you, you know, everyone's at one point or another looked down at their leg or their arm and there's a bruise there. But they mm-hmm. never felt it and there's no pain. But there's obviously tissue damage or else there wouldn't be a bruise. Yes, exactly. And that leads people to believe that, they, that you can have pain and not know about it. Because a lot of them will say, well, yeah, you can have pain and not know about it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was in the garden and did all these things and I've got these cuts and I didn't even realize I had them cuts. Mm-hmm. So I obviously had pain and didn't know about it. And you tell them, no, no, you mm-hmm. didn't have pain. You had tissue damage, mm-hmm. but you didn't have pain. And you can have tissue damage uh, without having any pain. So, you know, back to that story about the bulging disc mm-hmm. or those patients who have that pain. I think you know, one, of the, one thing that's really sort of coming out now in, in, in physical therapy that I'm really excited about is this idea of, of explaining to patients that, you know, what happens to discs and the degenerative changes that have the spine are basically wrinkles on the inside. And there's a physical therapist named Jason Rogero who's produced this fabulous little video clip. On, I'm sure you've seen it, Karen, where he talks about um, how, you know, x-rays will show those wrinkles on the inside. So, you know, you can have degeneration in your spine, you know, a thinning disc or a bulging disc, if you like. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean, to, need to, you know, need, mean that uh, it's going to be painful. It's just a sign of aging, just as, you know, wrinkly skin and gray hair is a sign of you getting older. Right. Well, having, you know, degenerative changes in your spine and a you know, thinning disc or a bit of bulging disc is just a, a sign of, you know, wrinkling on the inside. Right, and it's normal. Yeah, absolutely. I know when I had Corey Zimney on a couple of months ago, and yeah. at which who you know. Yes, he's a good friend. Yeah, and he was saying, you know, when people come in and they have that diagnosis, he said he must say normal 50 times. Yes. In his initial evaluation mm-hmm. to kind of yep. help de-threaten kind of what you're saying. You want to take yeah. away the, the patient's fear and de-threaten the situation by mm-hmm. using language that's, a, that's not as scary. Exactly. Because if you can reduce the, the fear, then uh, a patient will understand that they can move, that, you know, the, that the pain they feel when they move is not because they're damaging the tissue further, you know, any discomfort they feel when they do exercises, when they move, and they do activities, um, you know, that's discomfort that's just normal. And mm-hmm. um, they need to keep moving to help the healing process. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a classic example of that because I spent the weekend rearranging my, my uh, garage. Uh-huh. I live in a gated community here in Las Vegas where you can't park your car on the street. Oh, right. And, and my, uh, my son just turned 18, so I bought him a car. <laughs> now we have four cars and nowhere to put it. So I had to clean out the garage so we could put two cars in the garage. And all that work, lifting boxes and you know, drilling and hammering and you know, getting everything organized, I hurt all over today. <laughs> my back hurts, my hands hurt, I've got these cuts and bruises all over my uh-huh. legs. 
um, and I hurt all over, but I don't feel any pain. I just feel, you know, I've done some work this weekend. Right, and it doesn't mean that you're going to sit and lay in your bed all day. No, in fact, I think it would make it worse. Yeah, you're going to have to keep up yeah. and keep moving. Yeah, I feel better when I get moving. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to mm-hmm. take a quick break, and when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about um, spinal manipulation. Absolutely. And uh, so everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Join the Metaphysical Center of New Jersey and the Association for Higher Awareness for two exciting events this fall, live just minutes from New York City in Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Dr. Judith Orloff will address her bestseller, Emotional Freedom, and Greg Braden will discuss his latest book, Deep Truth, Living on the Edge. Are you ready for 12-21-12? Save the dates. Judith Orloff, October 18th, and Greg Braden, November 9th and 10th. For early bird tickets, visit metaphysicalcenterofnewjersey.org or ahanj.net. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We We are are certified mediators. mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and I'm joined today by Dr. Louis Puintadora. And uh, in this segment, what I really want to talk about is spinal manipulation. So there's been a lot, I know, like on Twitter and Facebook about spinal manipulation, particularly cervical spinal spinal manipulation and how it's dangerous and it it's can be uh, cause some serious health issues. So, uh, so Louis, what... Let's first talk about manipulation and how it works and why it why it works. Well, um, <laughs> does that make? Because there's been a lot, like you know, cervical. Yes. It could cause a stroke. It could do this. It's dangerous. Just don't do it anymore. So mm-hmm. you know, it, what? Why should people do it? What does manipulation do? Well, we're not exactly sure how manipulation works, but we've got a basic idea that. Um, it involves three mechanisms that it's, you know, a biomechanical effect. When you move a patient's spine, you know, quickly, with this, which is what a manipulation is, mm-hmm. um, you move it through space and so you, you know, you have some kind of a mechanical effect on the joints. So it has a biomechanical effect. But you also move joints that have uh, mechanoreceptors and nerve endings 
and it induces a neurophysiological response. So there's, neuro, there's a strong neurophysiological response to the you know, input of the manipulation as well. So there's the second component. And then the third really is not really placebo. I hate using the word placebo mm-hmm. because people think placebo means nothing. Right. But placebo means a positive expectation of benefit. And the opposite of placebo is nocebo, which is a negative expectation of benefit. So, so meaning you're going into this manipulation thinking, this is really going to help me. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You, you know, are, are confident that you know, what is being done is going to be useful for you. Mm-hmm. And so they're the, they're the three mechanisms that are probably in play in um, figuring out how manipulation works. The interesting thing is there's lots of research being done now showing that uh, manipulation isn't uh, site-specific, that you know, when a therapist says they're manipulating C23 on the right, for instance, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that it probably isn't C23 on the right. It might be C34 on the left mm-hmm. or some other joints that are, you know, that are actually sort of moving and cavitating. And so there's this idea that if we can't be specific without manipulations, perhaps we shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And then the other thought is that you know, maybe we don't need to be specific. Just the input of the manipulation may be enough to induce a neurophysiological response, and the, and then the placebo, the expectation mm-hmm. of benefit, might be enough to get things moving. I think you know the big concern about manipulating the the cervical spine or the neck in particular is that you know it seems like such a you know it, it can look really violent if you right. see a wrong kind of manipulation being done. There are many ways to manipulate the neck. And uh, one of the things I've learned over the years is how to um, how to be very localized and use a very small amount of movement. And you know, one of the things that I, I really value is that um, that mentorship that I had from Peter, because he was he was brilliant. He could move things with just a tiny little motion mm-hmm. and just get one little cavitation. He had just his most amazing hands, and he would always you know be on me and say, "Oh, that was too fast. You know, you did." quicker movement or that was through too big a range mm-hmm. you need to change it and he'd always give me feedback on my manipulation skills and I think that's how I improved and got better and better and with that what I found was that um, you know there was none of that um, post treatment soreness that I used to have very early on when I manipulated people's backs or necks mm-hmm. people would get better but often they would come back you know two days later and say gee you know you really I really felt like you'd done something to me with that manipulation the other day because I was really sore for a couple, mm. you know, for a good 24 to 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And now refining that skill has really made it a lot easier to minimize that post-treatment soreness and see that, you know, it doesn't need to be, um, you don't need to have that adverse sort of reaction or adverse event after a manipulation. Which kind of leads us to this next conversation about well, you know, what about when people suffer strokes and have, you know, horrible right. things and die from having their neck manipulated? Right. And sure, that, that is a big concern, and uh, many physical therapists, you know, follow this rule of, of screening patients, basically screening for any vertebrate basilar or, you know, cervical artery dysfunction. Yeah, what we're concerned about is blood flow to the brain. Sure. And if you manipulate the neck and somehow disrupt the blood flow to the brain, that can lead to a stroke, it can lead to death, it can lead to really horrible things. And um, my philosophy has always been that, yeah, okay, manipulation can be dangerous if it's done by the wrong, you know, the therapist, they don't know how to manipulate, mm-hmm. on the wrong patient and at the wrong time. It's kind of like crossing a street. Crossing a street is really dangerous. There are cars that are traveling, you know, 45 miles per hour. 
And if a car hits you at 45 miles per hour, you could die. Yeah, it's not easily, not right? a good situation. Not at all. But you don't just cross the street without checking, do you? No. You always see where the traffic is flowing. You make sure that you've got plenty of time to cross the street. And so, you know, there are some things that you do to minimize the risk of crossing the street. And it's the same with manipulating the neck. There are some things that you can do to minimize the risk of harming a patient mm-hmm. by manipulating the neck. Such as? And I think the skill is being able to evaluate your patient, doing a proper thorough evaluation, mm-hmm. and, you know, be able to pick that patient that you shouldn't manipulate. And That's the really important part, picking that one that you should not manipulate. And what, are some ex- what would be some examples of people that you should not want to manipulate their neck? Well, if they've got any kind of um, pathology that minimizes their bone you know, strength, um, osteoporosis or osteopenia, uh-huh. um, people who have rheumatoid arthritis because that affects the ligaments, lig- ligamentous structures mm. that support mm-hmm. the upper, upper cervical spine, people who have a history of cancer, people who have an act- active infection because of the neurophysiological response, mm-hmm. you don't want to you know, stimulate that kind of thing. Just you know, some common garden varieties, you know, sense things that you have as a PT to realize, oh, you know, this person's not well. I really mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing this to them. And then the other thing, too, is that you always, you always examine your patient physically beforehand. Dizziness sure. uh, is another big thing as well. And one of the things that we look out for is to try to screen for vertebrobasal insufficiency. And this is the easiest thing in the, in the world to screen for. Because yeah. if you see someone with, with true vertebrobasal insufficiency, It'll stand out, you know. Yeah. Excuse the, fr- excuse the Australian, like dogs' balls. <laughs> it'll just, it'll just be very obvious to you, you know, because <laughs> the patient will have nystagmus. Their eyes will sort of twitch from side to side. Sure. As you turn and cut off their blood supply. Sure. So we do an examination of our, all of our patients. We have them look up, look down, look to the left, look to the right. We're mainly screening for, you know, range and discomfort at end range and also get a sense of how much movement they have. Mm-hmm. We're also looking at their eyes to make sure they're not, you know, got any, any of their stagmas. Mm-hmm. The other thing we're looking for is if they've got, you know, ptosis, if they've got, you know, a, a constricted you know, pupil on one side, mm-hmm. if they've got, you know, um, any sort of um, anhydrosis or drying of the skin on one side of the face, they're all the hallmarks of true vertebra, vertebra insufficiency. Mm-hmm. So if you see that, the last thing you want to do is manipulate someone's neck. Of course. We, we actually did a systematic review of um, case, case studies or case histories of patients who had had adverse events or serious, you know, adverse events following manipulation of the neck. And we had 134 cases, so 134 people who had unfortunate things happen to them when they had their neck manipulated. And what we did was look at all of those cases and try to determine two things about that. Number one was, you know, whether the manipulation was appropriate whether, you know, was it a condition that manipulating the neck would be helpful for? And we figured that, you know, people who have neck pain, people who have stiffness in the neck, people who have headaches, they you know, okay, you could manipulate the neck to try to, you know, improve those things. But what about patients who have back pain? Right. Why manipulate the neck if you've got low back pain? Yeah, it's a good uh, question. What about people who have knee pain? Yeah, a sprained people ankle. People who have ankle pain. Yeah. yeah, sprained ankle. Why would you manipulate the neck? Right. And also maintenance manipulation. People who have nothing wrong with them, but they come in just to get the neck manipulated as a sort of prophylactic thing, as a sort of a right. eat or, healthy type attitude. That's right. senseless. So, or, or what about people, here's a question, what about people who maybe they had a neck pathology, and but they've been getting the neck manipulated for over a year? Exactly. Two I mean, years. You know, they go once a week for a neck mm-hmm. manipulation when the pathology is clearly mm-hmm. gone the year before. 
Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, is that something that in for that you to me kind would of be an, yeah that would to me would be an inappropriate use of manipulation yeah i think that you know you've got to use it appropriately and not inappropriately and then the other thing too that we looked at was to see if um if the you know the therapist or clinician involved in providing that manipulation that caused that horrible event had actually screened for any um you know any contraindications or precautions you know had they paid attention to what we call red flags mm-hmm. And um, we found that you know the, um, the half the cases hadn't you know had not been screened for precautions or red flags. So mm. if that clinician had just paid attention to look at you know do a proper physical exam and right. you know, assess for the uh, for a possible adverse events, then you know, they could have been prevented. You know, close to half of those 134 cases could have been prevented. Gee, so so you know neck manipulation pretty much comes down to the skill of the clinician. Mm-hmm. And the thoroughness of evaluation, looking for oh, those red flags you and yellow yeah. flags. Yeah, and you could never discount the thorough evaluation. That's right. a really important part. And, I think that's, and what, then, that's what physical therapists are really good at. Right, right. Because, you know, we're always wary about what we're going to do with our patient until we've done a proper evaluation. Sure. And we can spend, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes just getting to know our patient before we actually start to do anything to them. Right, absolutely. Because and most of us are pretty scared to do anything to them. <laughs> that's, that's very true. And yeah. we're, we're going to take a commercial break in, in about in a couple of seconds here, but um, I just have one last question on this uh, topic mm-hmm. is, what about uh, the attitude of the patient coming in? So someone like me who's had like past neck pain, I wouldn't let anyone go near my neck. Yep. You know, and, so you know, and if you had neck pain and came to see me, I wouldn't manipulate you. Right. Because I would, I would want to have informed consent. Mm-hmm. That's another really important part. I want, I would want you to have a positive expectation that yeah. manipulation would be helpful. If you have a negative expectation that manipulation would be helpful, then it probably wouldn't be worth doing to you. And I just wouldn't want to want to put you through that risk. Right. And so I um, think, you know, for the patients out there that you kind of want to be leery of the practitioner who's trying to talk you into it. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because, and that's one of the beauties of being a PT. We don't have to manipulate. Right. There's lots of other things we can do. Sure. But at sure. the same time, manipulation can be, you know, very effective. And perhaps uh, after the break, we can talk about sure. how effective it can be in some patients with neck pain. Sounds good. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. TalkingAlternative.com Hi, this is Nancy Tatro from Speak Spin Radio. Speak Spin Radio is an exploration of the world of communication, how it happens and how to make it better, because the quality of your communication has a direct impact on the quality of your life. Tune in Mondays at 2 p.m. on TalkingAlternative.com, where I'll be interviewing experts from business, academia, the arts, and new thought. Join me Mondays at 2 p.m. and get all your communications questions answered on Speak Spin Radio. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. 
If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. How's your game? Want to improve your performance, focus, and motivation? Then you need Aspire Athletic Consulting. Stop second-guessing yourself. Move your game to the next level. Bring back the fun of the sport. Help your child build confidence and self-esteem through sports. Contact Dale at Aspire Athletic Consulting for a free 15-minute power session to get unstuck today. Your greatest athletic performance is just a phone call away at 801-604-0294 or visit aspireconsulting.vpweb. Motivational coaching for athletic excellence. Aspire to greatness. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. And welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by physical therapist, Dr. Louis Puentendora. And so we just kind of, in the last segment, we were talking about when to and when not to manipulate, particularly in the cervical spine. And so let's talk a little bit about outcomes of that manipulation. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, we were discussing before about, you know, that one of the important things is to be able to, you know, use the manipulation on the right patient at the right time. Mm-hmm. And the big question is, how do you decide that um, when you have a patient before you with neck pain or even back pain? You know, how, how can you determine that that patient in front of you is the one who will respond favorably to a manipulation technique, uh, where you can use those three mechanisms, the biomechanics, neurophysiology, and the positive expectation of benefit? And for the low back, as most therapists would know, um, there is a really good clinical prediction oil out there that um, tells us that if our patient presents with certain attributes, you know, four out of five attributes where symptoms uh, have been present for less than 16 days, there's no symptoms uh, uh, of spreading pain from the back below the knee for right. as long as the pain doesn't go below the knee. Uh, if they've got a low fear avoidance belief you know, questionnaire, so there's a little sort of uh, outcome tool that physical therapists can use to mm-hmm. assess the patient's fear of movement. And if they've got low fear avoidance beliefs, that's a good thing. Um, if there's palpable stiffness when you you know, push on their spine and it feels like it doesn't move like it should. Mm-hmm. And then this weird one where you can, you know, hip internal rotation has to be more than 35 degrees on yeah. one side. Yeah. But if four out of those five are present, there's a 95% chance that that person will respond very favorably. And favorably in terms of, you know, dropping their um, oswestry disability index by 50%, which is a remarkable yeah, drop. Yeah, pretty big, yeah. Um, if you provide them with a manipulation. And what I wanted to do was to develop a similar rule for patients with neck pain mm-hmm. that would respond to neck manipulation. And so I followed the same protocol of you know, getting uh, subjects with neck pain and um, evaluating all of those patients, taking really thorough um, history and physical examinations. And then regardless of what those history and physical examinations were, we went ahead and just did a simple manipulation of their neck. Now that was a bit nerve-wracking <laughs> for a couple of patients. Because, you know, as a clinician, I would have these patients that I thought, ooh, yeah, you should, I should not manipulate you. You're going to get worse. Mm-hmm. But because I'm doing this study, I had to just put that away and say, oh, I'm sorry, you're going to, you know, to myself, I know I'm going to make it worse, but I'm just going to have to go ahead and do it because I need people to fail as well as people to succeed with the manipulation. Right. 
but we finished that study and it was published in the Journal of Orthopedic and, Orth- Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy, JOSPT, and it's mm-hmm. a clinical prediction rule for patients with neck pain. And the results that came out were quite stunning. For me, I thought they were really exciting because what it shows is that patients who have uh, had neck pain for less than 38 days, mm-hmm. so a short duration of symptoms, um, people who actually feel pain when you push on their neck. Now, this is important because if we think about how pain works, how pain is in, an input processing and then an output mechanism, mm-hmm. people who've had pain for a short duration of symptoms should still be able to reliably say where, where things hurt. So pushing on their neck, you know, any middle cervical spine, so C2 down, mm-hmm. if you push on that, and that does reproduce their neck pain. That's the second predictor. Mm-hmm. The third one was um, if they had a, uh, an imp- uh, a, a uh, greater amount of rotation to one side or the other. Mm-hmm. If there's a difference in rotation range of more than 10 degrees. And that was, you know, one that, that I really, was really excited about clinically because I've always thought that they're the patients that get better, the ones that are stuck, not going, they can't turn as far to one side as, as they can to the other. And the manipulation has that mechanical effect of improving that movement for them. So I was really excited that that one came out. And then the final one was a positive expectation that manipulation would help them. Right. We asked patients um, to rate their uh, level of agreement uh, with certain comments, you know, and you had to fill in the blanks. So I believe that a hot pack will help my current episode of deck pain. Mm-hmm. You know, totally disagree, uh, somewhat disagree, neutral, ag- somewhat agree, or totally agree. And we had them for traction, for exercises, mm-hmm. for um, massage, and also for manipulation. And we found that patients who chose agree or strongly agree that manipulation would help their current episode of neck pain were more likely to benefit from the manipulation procedure. Um, only 33% of subjects actually improved um, with manipulation. So the pretest probability was 33%. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, once the uh, manipulation was provided, um, when, once we had screened for those attributes and uh, when patients met at least three out of the four predictors, the probability of the post-test probability raised went up to 90%. That's huge. So 90% of people got better. And that was based on the global rating of change scale. So people being able to say, you know, when they came back 48 hours later, that they were, you know, quite a bit better mm-hmm. or a, you know, a very great deal better than they were when they first came in. And those predictors that came out just made sense to me because of the way that I, you know, understand how, you know, how pain works. That mm-hmm. you know, when pain is present for a short amount of time, you know, when it's a, a relatively new injury, um, the tissues are still providing some input into the brain right. for it to be processed as pain. People who've had neck pain for you know two or three years, then those tissues are probably um, not sending information back to the brain about you know pain being present. They're just unhealthy, sluggish, you know, uncomfortable. Right. That central tissues. central sensitization. Central sensitization. Kick in, exactly. and then it's yeah a lot a lot harder. I think to be very specific with, you know, how you were saying, you know, one of the predictors or when you yeah, kind of you press on the spine because and we, yeah. we we talk about people who have central sensitization yeah. and chronic pain and how they have an incredible you know incredible difficulty localizing where their Absolutely. pain is. Absolutely. Yeah. They have a hard time saying, you know, exactly where they hurt. Because you ask them, you know, where does it hurt? And they say everywhere. Right. They you say know, from, my, the, better? from my head down to my back, down my everywhere. arms, over my shoulders. <laughs> and it's very hard. It's because yeah. their brain has lost contact yeah. with the precision of where everything is. 
And this is where a lot of the current brain, you know, pain science education is really sort of taking off. And I know you're really excited about graded motor imagery and GMI, and also how how uh, important it is to to retrain laterality. Mm-hmm. You know, because people who have had chronic pain have a difficult time processing whether something is on the right or on the left, mm-hmm. and having them you know work through that in a non-threatening way, and you know, yeah, it's amazing. puts puts the it puts that structure that's been at fault, that structure that is, you know, to the brain a pain. It puts it back into the brain, and that helps the brain basically localize it and be more aware of it. Sounds kind of intuitive, doesn't it? If you think yeah. that a, you know an area, say the back, for instance, is always in pain, that the brain would know everything about the back because it's always pain. But it's interesting how people who have chronic back pain have no idea where their back is. They have a hard time I know. localizing where their back, in, in, their back is in space. Their two-point discrimination is much wider than normal. Yes. And so they really are. They, yeah. it, they, they call that, David Butler calls this smudging of the brain. Yeah, the smudging, yeah. We're, we're all talk about smudging here all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's all that kind of stuff. Now, I have a question. When you were doing the, your case study with the manipulation, were you also doing pain education? With now, are you talking patients? about the, 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 case, the, the case studies where we this, did the reviews? Or, right. Uh, the, no, this specific when you were developing the, the CPR. Oh, no. Um, that this was just was, simply a, um, okay. you know, taking an evaluation. Uh, we didn't go into pain sciences okay. with them at all. Okay. No. This was more of a, you know, uh, we, we obviously asked them about pain. We used sure. the American pain rating scale to measure their, parent, their you know, current pain, um, worst pain in 24 hours, best mm-hmm. pain in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. To use that as an outcome tool, but we didn't focus a lot on. You, you didn't know, go through the whole explain no. pain because that would have been an extra, an extra, an extra thing in the mix. Yeah, an and extra you just variable, to and we wanted to try and keep it sort of you know diminished. Sure. I'm currently doing a, a, a lot of research with Adrian Lowe on um, pain science education, and we're doing it um, primarily as a sort of a, a preoperative type approach. We feel that um, people who understand how pain works will actually get better or have you know faster outcomes post surgery. Um, post surgery, if they if they if they're aware of it, we think that a lot of the preoperative programs that we have now, like there are pre-op programs for total knees and yeah, total they're frightening. Hips. Yeah, um, but most people don't have don't have a great outcome in terms of pain right. afterwards right. because they've had uh, a, a very biomechanical you know, by a medical approach to explaining things to them. They know exactly, you know, what's going to be done to them. This piece of metal is going to be stuck in there. Mm-hmm. They're going to cut away this bone, you know, and they're all frightening terms. And having uh, a different approach where pain is explained to the patient and, you know, they're aware that when you wake up after surgery, you're going to be in pain yeah. with good reason because surgery is controlled trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that you you should expect to go through a process of you know of pain that will gradually diminish as you get moving, yep. and as you move, uh, you'll improve things and the pain will go away. Yep, yep. And we really think that um, that kind of approach will have a you know a significant outcome. And um, so far, our data is showing that that's exactly what happens. We actually ran a uh, um, a, a case study. We had a. A really interesting young lady who works at Cirque du Soleil. She's a dancer uh-huh. here in Las Vegas, uh-huh. and she had a bulging disc, you know, and it was a pretty massively bulging disc uh, on the MRI. And you know, any other surgeon would have said, "Oh, we've got to take that out." 
that's just take you know it, it was occupying more than half of the vertebral canal oh. so it was a very significant oh. um, bulge but she's a high level dancer and she's used to having discomfort and pain because of all the things that she did dance wise and we actually did a, a, an interesting study with her we put her into an, a functional MRI scanner so we could see her brain activity and so she was watching this little video clip to get a basic sort of baseline brain uh-huh. activity and then we had her do um, a hyperextension, you know, just basically tightening up her extensors in her spine, because that was a provocative move that would bring on her pain. And we could actually map out, you know, crudely with a functional MRI, the neurotag or the, the image of what the pain was like in her brain when she did that painful activity in the MRI scanner. And then we took her out, and Adrian spent 45 minutes explaining uh-huh. pain to her. Uh-huh. And we popped it right back in the scanner, and um, did the same scans all over again, and we got vastly different uh, pictures from the MRI. It was really, really interesting. Um, quite a dilemma to try and explain it, and uh, I know the neuroradiologist could not believe it. He right. said, what did you guys, what did you guys do to this patient? Yeah. Uh, it should, you know, it should be exactly the same. It should, and it shouldn't no, be that different. We just spoke to her. Exactly. And he, yeah, I couldn't believe it. The funny thing is that um, she ended up having surgery because she had to have that removed. Mm. And um, her her recovery post-surgery was fabulous. Within a week after having had that um, discectomy, yeah. she was back to dancing. Oh, that's She's amazing. Back on, the, back on the show. That's amazing. And on that note, I'm sorry, we have to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have like a couple of minutes to kind of wrap things up. Okay. But we'll be right back. So everyone stay tuned. <laughs> Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Join the Metaphysical Center of New Jersey and the Association for Higher Awareness for two exciting events this fall, live just minutes from New York City in Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Dr. Judith Orloff will address her bestseller, Emotional Freedom, and Greg Braden will discuss his latest book, Deep Truth, Living on the Edge. Are you ready for 12-21-12? Save the dates. Judith Orloff, October 18th, and Greg Braden, November 9th and 10th. For early bird tickets, visit metaphysicalcenterofnewjersey.org or ahanj.net. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. And welcome. 
Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Dr. Louis Puentadora, and he is an assistant professor at UNLV and researcher. And so, you know, we basically have a one or two minutes here, you know, because... Like I think I told you when we spoke, the time goes really, really fast, unfortunately. Um, So I guess what are, if you can pick, like, let's say two main points that you want the listeners to kind of take away from, what would that be? And also, if they wanted to get in touch with you directly, how can they do that? Okay. Um, I think the the two main points I'd like to make is is that, um, you know, physical therapists are, are, are in a perfect place, basically, to be able to provide this integrated package of treatment. You know, um, it's amazing how, you know, through the 30-plus years that I've been a physical therapist, how initially um, I was very much a joint mobilizer. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, people had some mechanical problems and that I was like a mechanic. I could just fix it by, you know, pushing on this joint, by manipulating this joint, by just flicking this here and, you know, putting my hands on them and I could fix them, right? Mm-hmm. And then I realized, no, that's not true. There's, there's, there's an exercise component that's important too. People need to keep moving once I move them. And so I came here to the States to learn all the exercise component. And then I found myself thinking, gosh, I'm like a personal trainer. Um, you know, getting them, encouraging them to, you know, lift a little bit harder, move through further range, do two more sets, you know, mm-hmm. and do these exercises. And I thought, gosh, it's still not the answer. And then I realized that, you know, one of the things that I was told early on in physical therapy is that you have to be a good educator, that every patient that you come, that, that comes into your, you know, clinic to see you, is there to learn something about, you know, about their body, about their particular problem, and you have a golden opportunity to actually, you know, educate them about that particular problem, you know, how to sit with better posture, how to move through a greater range, how to, you know, move without pain. So we're educators. And it's, you know, it's sad that it's taken 30 years to get to this, but Uh I think that, you know, the the package deal is when you do all three. When you do all three. When you provide the education, you get people moving with exercise, Mm -hmm. but, you know, don't have to crack the whip and be a personal trainer. Right. But you also get your hands on them and nudge them and move them where they need to be moved. Absolutely. There are some things that, you know, patients can't do. They can't, you know, move a joint in a certain way themselves. And you being able to do that can make that huge difference. But it really does have to be, you know, wrapped around or enveloped in this in this package of understanding and education and i think every patient that comes to see a physical therapist should have the the pain story told to them they need to understand that pain is not an input that the pain they currently feel from that particular problem uh, might be you know partially from the tissues but there are other things at play the tissues are just one component it's the environment they hurt themselves in it's how they feel at the time you know, everything that, there's lots of things that the brain has to take in consideration when it decides whether or not to plan that pain tune. And, and if someone, I, before we, before I go, how can people get in touch with you? If well, the easiest way is to look up um, UNLV. Uh-huh. You could just go to the website. Um, we have a PT, uh, the physical therapy department uh-huh. um, at UNLV, which is pt.unlv.edu. And just search for the faculty and you'll see my ugly mug up there. <laughs> And it has a, an email address that you Great. can contact me. You can also see the, the research I've been doing and also learn about the PT program. Great. Well, I have to thank you so much for coming on today. Um, well, it was a pleasure and talking I to know, you, Karen. Yeah, it was great. And um, safe travels tomorrow to South Africa. 
Yes, off to South Africa with Adrian. All We're right. Well, thank hit you. The country. Yes, thank you so much, and um, and everyone, thank you so much for tuning in, and hopefully we'll see you again here next week at one o'clock on TalkingAlternative.com. Bye. <laughs> You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, this is Nancy Tatro from Speak Spin Radio. Speak Spin Radio is an exploration of the world of communication, how it happens and how to make it better, because the quality of your communication has a direct impact on the quality of your life. Tune in Mondays at 2 p.m. on TalkingAlternative.com, where I'll be interviewing experts from business, academia, the arts, and new thought. Join me Mondays at 2 p.m. and get all your communications questions answered on Speak Spin Radio. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant. Helping conscious people be better business people. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. Improve your professional environment. Be more effective. Be happier and make more money. Improving Communications. That's the answer. TalkingAlternative.com 